0: You can always catch up on Mike's teaching on our website at org. We're currently going through the book of Luke in a series titled, The Uncommon Gospel. So grab your Bible, turn up the volume, and follow along with us.
1: Here's Pastor Mike. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. Verse 18, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? Now, the other gospels mention that Jesus was near Caesarea Philippi, which is far north of Galilee. It's near the place where Dan settled. If you read the book of Judges, they went north and they kind of settled in this place. It was near the city of Dan. They go there, and Jesus is leaving Caesarea. He's talking to his disciples, but it tells us that he, he was praying alone praying. And Luke often tells us that that's what Jesus is doing. We see this throughout the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 5 verse 16, it says, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6.12 tells us that he prayed all night before he went and picked his disciples. If you remember that, all night long, and then in the morning he picked the 12 to be apostles to send out. And later in chapter 9, Lord willing, next week we'll talk about it, where Jesus went up on the mount with three of his disciples, and he was transformed before them, and there he prayed. And, and this would be common, what Jesus would do all the time throughout his ministry. And in chapter 11, the disciples would finally look at Jesus and see the effectiveness of his life and his ministry, and they would ask Jesus, will you teach us to pray? No doubt recognizing out of all the things that Jesus did and all that Jesus was, that it was this one thing that set him apart from everybody else. You know, I, as I, I was just thinking through this, and lately as, as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, actually, I kind of had a transformative thought when it comes to Jesus. And I think, and maybe it's just me, but perhaps it's you too, but I think that we discount Jesus' humanity. Like, how human really was Jesus? I always kind of thought, you know, of course, I knew Jesus didn't use his own miracles. The Father and the Holy Spirit empowered him to do the miracles that he did. But I wonder how much actually he allowed himself to know. I wonder how human he really was. I mean, would it really be fair for Peter to say that he was our example that we should follow in his steps if Jesus had a lot of extra And the more I read the gospel, the more I realize how human Jesus really was. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't fully God because he was fully God. We know that from the creeds and from the word of God. We see that Jesus is fully God. But we also within the creeds say that he was fully man. But I don't think we like for Jesus to be fully man. We like for Jesus to be, you know, reading everybody, everybody's mind who's around him, you know, knowing everything that's going to happen, you know, and just kind of having this, you know, omniscient view of the world. But I kind of wonder if that's the case or if he actually set that aside as well. Because as we look at the Bible, you know, it doesn't seem that Jesus really did anything by himself at all. In fact, it becomes very clear as we look at just a few scriptures, and there's many who talk about this. But in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does also like in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works, Than these that you may marvel. And so Jesus is saying that the Father tells him everything he's supposed to do, and the Father shows him what he's supposed to do. And so Jesus sees these things and then he does them. And the things that he's doing are simply just the things that the Father is doing. Now, in verse 30, just a few verses down, Jesus says in John 5:30, I can of myself do nothing, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And so not only is it that Jesus just does whatever the Father tells him, but Jesus sets aside his own will and only does the things that the Father leads him to do. Again, in John chapter 8, verse 28 through 29. And Jesus said to them, "When you when you lift up the Son of Man, speaking of his crucifixion, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself but as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent is, me is with me. My Father has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that please him. What was Jesus doing when he was getting alone to be with the Father? He was just simply praying. He was just simply seeking the Father's voice and then listening and doing what the Father told him to do. And what were his prayers like? You know, when you think about Jesus going and talking to the Father, was he just, you know, getting a download and then just doing, or did he have an opinion of things? It's interesting because in Matthew chapter 26, it gives us a glimpse into that. Matthew chapter 6 to verse 39. It says he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not, not as I will, but as you will. And so this is an interesting thing because I I think we look at this passage and we see Jesus knows He's going to the cross. And Jesus is thinking through the implications of that. And just like you and me, Jesus had His strongest desire, or His deepest desire rather, that was in conflict with His strongest desire. And what was Jesus' strongest desire? His strongest desire was... The thought of going to the cross. Now, of course, you know, he knows he's going to be beaten. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be pummeled. All those things are going to happen to Jesus. And I don't think that that troubled him. I'm just speculating, but I don't think that that was what the deal was. But what Jesus was going to experience as they hung him upon that cross is that now all of your sin and my sin and every dark, deep thing that's ever been done in secret in this world was going to be laid on him. And at that very moment, for the first time in all eternity, the father was going to turn his face from his son and Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I can't even imagine what that would have been like in that moment for the Son to be separated from the Father and everything to go dark and the whole world to come under complete chaos in that moment. And that was Jesus' lot, and He was looking forward to that. And and I think we look at this, and by, by design, the Father allowed Him to feel those emotions because honestly, as we read this, we realize Jesus had to go to the cross and his desire was to go to the cross for the joy set before him, right? He despised the shame and he did it because he loved you. And so he would do that. But you have to understand that there was something in him that was saying no. And because of that, we know that there was no other way. Certainly, if there was another way, the father would have said yes. But Jesus surrendered his will, not my will, but your will be done. And this is why Jesus prayed. He was getting instructions. He was being filled with power and strength. And it's no different for us. So Jesus gets instructions from the Father as he asked his disciples this question, who do the crowds say that I am? Verse 19, so they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some Elijah and others say that one of the old prophets has risen from the dead. It's kind of the mantra, isn't it? It's, there's, there's a theme here. You know, John the Baptist. Some people considered him to be a prophet. He must be John the Baptist. Oh, no, he's Elijah. Elijah the prophet came back from the dead. Well, actually, he never died. Remember, he was caught up in a whirlwind and he's supposed to come back before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And that was what was, was prophesied. Last words of the book of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. And so they're expecting that. And others say, no, it's just one of the other prophets. It's not Elijah. It's not that time yet. It's one of the other prophets. Do you notice a theme here? What are they not saying? The son of God. They're not saying the son. They're not saying God in flesh, are they? They're saying he's one of the prophets. Isn't that what, in a way, what the the religions of the world say? Jesus was something special. The Buddhists say that. The Muslims say that. The Hindus say that. He's a great teacher. He's a great master. He's an enlightened one. But is he God? No. Even the cults will will let him be the son of God and somehow diminish that from being God. It's like he's the son of God. He's like a demigod. He's like a smaller God. You know, half God, half man, or something like that, which is not what Jesus was. He was fully God, right? And yet fully man. So the cults strip away his deity and relegate him to a lesser than God, as if that's possible. It's not. In John chapter 1 verse 1 through 3, I mean we're all familiar with this passage, but it's just it's mind-boggling. It says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And so first he starts out with this in the beginning was the logos, the the word, which you know in some circles, that was kind of an abstract thought of, of information, of of this creative force. But now he takes that and he says, no, but the word, this creative force was God.
0: Thanks again for listening to Abide in Truth with Pastor Mike Hughes. If you would like a copy of today's sermon in its entirety, call us at 208-365-0991 or send us a text at 208 991